Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. If you're on the hunt for a new insect repellent, check out Climb On Skin Care for outdoor enthusiasts. Their new bug spray, Bug Drug, is 100% organic, vegan, and cruelty-free. They don't use DEET or other pesticides in their formula, so it is totally safe to use on all members of your family. One thing that makes it unique from other bug sprays labeled as all-natural is that it doesn't rely on carriers or fillers. It's just the organic plants that do their job. It's so important to have a good bug spray this season because mosquitoes are already out biting like crazy and ticks are a huge problem this year. So go to goclimbon.com and use code BUGDRUG for 10% off or click the link in the description to purchase this all-natural bug spray today. Sierra and Steel Kazarian are the co-founders of Lightkeepers app designed to help spouses and parents navigate their loved one's mental health. For over eight years, Sierra struggled with mental health challenges after having a baby. Along their journey, they realized that there were many resources for those who struggle, but not as many for their support system. Enabling the spouses and parents of those who struggle makes it possible for real change to happen. The Lightkeepers app shares many tools, online courses, and resources to navigate mental health. They are the proud parents of three kids and have been married for 13 years. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm really excited today to have Sierra here on the show. Sometimes I feel like there is maybe divine intervention of people's paths crossing, and I believe this so much with Sierra because um, we met because on Instagram I had put out like a plea for help for for some photography to be done for my son for his senior pictures. And I was like, I'm so late. I'm behind the scenes. I need someone to help me. And Sierra reached out to take his photos. And then as we were doing photos together, she told me about this app that she has made for mental health, that she struggled with depression, that she is trying to educate others about depression and how to help them. And I was like, this was meant to be that we met. So I am really excited to have you here on the show today and to talk about mental health. So welcome. Oh, I can't tell you. Thank you enough. You're so sweet. Thanks. (laughs) So will you tell my listeners just a little bit about yourself, your background, and maybe um, a little bit about your depression? Yes, of course. So when I I have three kids, Um, my husband and I have been married for 13 years and my whole life, people would say, you know, you're such a go-getter, you light up the room, you're so optimistic and happy and bubbly and, you know, all of these things that really were a part of who I was. And everything was (laughs) pretty great until my, when my daughter was born, I noticed that I just was feeling really weird and I didn't know what was going on. Again, I'd really only ever been accustomed to light. and was kind of obsessed with light. And then all of a sudden it felt like the lights went out in my life. And I had this heaviness that I would just wake up to that I was so confused about and it scared me. And I kept having all of these thoughts that just were not something like thoughts I'd ever had before. And my husband, after six weeks, he's like, I literally can't do anything right with you. Like you're, you're mad at our oldest son, you're mad at me, you're mad at everyone, like what is going on? And I was like, whoa, you're right. Something is off, something's not right. 
I called my mom and she said, you know, I think you're, I think you're dealing with postpartum depression. You know, we need to have you go see a doctor. And we did that and it just wasn't really working. <laughs> we went to so many um, different treatments and tried so many different things. And it was such a struggle for years and years and years. And I just didn't know if that Sierra that used to be there even existed anymore. I thought this this was just who I was, that I would always be sad and reclusive and not want to go be around people anymore. And that I would just, I just honestly felt like I was better off to not be here anymore. I felt like it was a disservice to my family for me to be around and felt like there was just like, what was the point of trying when, if this was all I would ever feel. And that was really hard. And in the midst of that, I kept having these feelings like I should write down the rawness of what I was experiencing. And so I started just recording the really bad days. And at the time, I would maybe have one day out of a month that I would feel myself. And that was like kind of myself, not fully, but like enough to where I could smile, you know? And anyways, <laughs> but we started, I started recording this and we started noticing a trend that there would be this process that would happen where I would wake up feeling a certain way, a trigger would happen and it would lead into this guilt spiral that would lead me down into those harder days with the depression. And as we did that, my husband and I started analyzing these notes that I had taken and we started kind of categorizing each stage of these dips as we call them. And we created what was called the dip scale. And it was something that we just used with each other for several years where he would just ask me like, Hey, what number are you on this dip scale? And I would let him know. And based on that, we also learned what worked and what didn't work depending on where I was at on this scale. And we were able to really fine tune it and get to a point where we were able to realize what resources were helping and what resources were making it worse, what food impacted me, what people impacted me, what situations impacted me. So then we, we started figuring out how to manage those triggers or avoid certain things and, and see what we needed to eliminate out of my life. And that process made it so that after years, we were able to get the right game plan in place and be able to finally get healthy again. And we were actually able to have our miracle baby with us and our family is complete now. And we like, he is such a, a light to us and he's for us just a symbol that like things can get better. It doesn't always have to be, you know, my normal didn't need to be there, that there was hope and healing available. And I'm just really grateful <laughs> for where our, our journey has led us. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's so important that women share these stories because there's so many women struggling but a lot of women are afraid to speak out or even ask for help because they're afraid of the judgment, the criticism that will come from feeling depressed, that it's some type of weakness or something. And so I love that you shared it because I think we need to just make it so that women feel okay to ask for help. So I have lots of questions to ask you about your story that you just told. So you said you went to a lot of doctors or different types of treatments. Did you try anti um, like depression drugs? Oh, yes. <laughs> my, I have a really incredible grandpa and he was really worried about me and he flew me out to California to take me to the best um, psychiatrist that he knew of. And 
this psychiatrist was so sweet and so kind and, and sincerely wanted to help me. And he, you know, had us up my antidepressant where I was on the maximum dose of the antidepressant. And he added an antipsychotic and an anti-anxiety medication that I was taking three times a day. And that was, I took that for a really long, like at least two years and it was not doing anything. Like I had no relief. I remember calling him on my birthday and I had my two kids in the car and I, I was like desperate. I'm like, why is this not working? Like I want to, it's my birthday and I don't want to be here anymore. Like I, I am past done. Whatever you're trying to do is not getting to the source. And that was where my husband and I really had a wake up call of maybe this is not the source of my depression. Maybe we need to find a different resource to match the source of what's going on. And that's where we started finding other things that made all the difference. I can really relate because my antidepressants I felt did work, but not great. And so I would go back in and get the dosage changed. They would add one on, they would change one, trying to get it to be that magic fix. And I never felt like it was that magic fix. So I can relate with that. Okay. I love that your husband was supportive in all of this because a lot of times people don't have a partner to rely on or to help them. Yeah. And honestly, my husband is awesome. I love him to pieces, but he had no idea what was going on. It's really hard if you haven't struggled with depression to know what it's like. It like, if you've never been in the cave, you don't know what it looks like inside the cave, you know? And what actually happened with us is, is he needed to have a wake up call. And because I, at the time we didn't have the dip scale and I wasn't able to communicate where I was at. And I was just kind of drowning, but didn't know how to let him know, Hey, I'm, I'm here. Hello. You know? And so what ended up happening is what I have found is those that have struggled that have been in the cave per se, they know what it's like and they are willing to go into that scary place of going back into the cave to help someone get out. And that for me, that's what my mother and my mother-in-law did. They both came to our house in Houston and they brought a psychiatrist. I don't know how they coordinated that, but they all were at our house with steel and me and they, they closed the door. They had the kids go somewhere else. And they said, we need to help you have a wake up call steel because you are going to lose Sierra. And he was like, no, she's doing pretty good. Like we're on this medicine, you know, she seems fine. And then they started asking me point blank, pretty bold questions. Like how often are you having suicidal thoughts? How, you know, all these questions that were pretty, I was like, whoa, you're really, really wanting me to open up right now. I haven't told anyone this, but when I let them know how scary it was driving, how scary it was being by myself in the house, whatever it was, then it really opened up Steele's eyes to realize how bad things actually were. And yeah, no, I understand that because it was hard for Jeff to understand where I was. He doesn't understand that dark cave. And so it was when I told him like, yeah, I'm having suicidal thoughts all day long, multiple times a day that then he was like, oh, wow, like we need some help. But that is why you created the dip scale um, to share with others, right? Because it is hard for the partner who is feeling great in life to really understand the partner that's going through the depression. So that's what the dip scale is for, correct? Yes. The dip scale, I really feel is a powerful, inspired tool to help you know how to navigate your loved one's mental health because with just one word, 
They can know exactly where you're at and exactly what steps to take to help you get better and exactly what to not do to make it worse. So for example, on the scale, if you are not matching where they're at on the scale and your responses to them, it can actually make it so that you are the trigger and you're making things worse. I'm sure that, you know, anyone out there who has tried to help a loved one that's struggling, you might just tell them, well, why don't you just go to the gym? Or why don't you just, you know, put a smile on, just be more positive. You can just don't talk like that. You probably recognize that they will recluse from you and they won't open up to you and they won't want to let you know how things are really going because they don't feel like you're that safe place anymore. And so by mastering the dip scale, you're able to match where they're at and be able to really help them feel heard and help them feel like someone is willing to be inconvenienced and go to wherever they are in that cave and help them to come back to the light. So is this dip scale a number scale from zero to 10? Tell me a little bit about this dip scale. Yeah. So the dip scale, it's, we try to keep it just simple because again, everything was very overwhelming to me and this really helped to conceptualize things. So like a 10 on the dip scale is the highest that you're feeling. It's considered optimal mental health. This is something that requires lifestyle changes to get to, whether it's changing your diet, changing your environment. It's not necessarily easy to get to a 10. A nine would be where you just feel yourself. It's not that you're a bubbly, optimistic person per se by nature, but it's just you being you, you know, you're the same yesterday that you are today that you'll be tomorrow. It's just whoever you are. An eight on the scale is when you start seeing situational depression where things are really challenging and hard. You know, you might've lost your job. You might've had a death of a loved one, but you're still able to bounce back and be yourself at the end of the day. And as you know, when people are at an eight and they're stressed out, it is primes the environment for them to start having hormonal imbalances because they probably are not eating great, being stressed out till they're having those nutritional de deficiencies. And they, that stress is really impacting their cortisol levels and all that. And then that can make it so that they start going into those other stages of depression where it's not in your control anymore because it's something hormonal chemical going on in your body. And so after the eight comes the seven, that's where you would be considered like high functioning depression. And that's where, you know, it's kind of like the elephant in the room. I can get out of bed and do whatever I need to do, but I recognize that this is this cloud hanging over my head, like walking through mud. It's just really hard to do whatever you need to do in a day because of that heaviness that's there. Um, a six on the dip scale is your response to a trigger. And that can look like a, you know, volcanic explosion for some where they lash out or get angry or, or, or they just retreat. And um, it's pretty much whatever response to the trigger that happened for them. And this is where like abuse can happen. And this is where people do things that they feel guilty about. And so, you know, part of the goal in what we teach is to help recognize what triggers are. So you don't hit that six. And then five would be that low functioning depression where you feel paralyzed, stuck in bed, ruminating thoughts pretty intensely. Four is where you start having the external symptoms like panic attacks, hyperventilating, sobbing spells, moves on to a three where the suicidal thoughts that might've popped up but were dismissed previously are now what you're thinking about all day long. You're obsessing over it. You're like, wow, that sounds like a welcome adoption. And then it goes on from there of, of two making a plan and one acting on the plan. So anyways, that is the dip scale in essence. And we go into detail in the app about how to respond to each part of the dip scale, like what to say and what to do and what it looks like and 
how to educate people on it so that, you know, you can literally have a wallet card that you pop out and ask someone, hey, what number are you? And they're able to say it and you know what to do and, you know, when to intervene and have people come in, when to not have them be alone, when, you know, all that Okay, so that is really interesting, that scale. And that scale is fabulous to have because I was down to the one, obviously. And so when someone's at like a three or a two, telling them just to put a smile on their face is not going to help because like you said, the depression can be due to hormonal imbalances. It can be due to nutritional deficiencies, chemical imbalances, all sorts of things in the body. So putting a smile on the face or just going on a walk is not going to cure that. So, um, and that was really hard for Jeff to understand on certain days, like where I was at. And so I love that you have this dip scale. So you mentioned really quickly that it's on your app. So tell me a little bit about your app and what it's called and where people can find this dip scale. Yeah. So the app is on the Apple store and then any, anywhere where you would download an app, it's on there. It's called light keepers. And in there we have a lot of training on triggers and about how to be that main supporting person, which we call the chief buffer officer. (laughs) So how to be a chief, how to recruit a tribe of people to support the chief in helping them because, you know, one person can't do it alone. You need to have neighbors and friends and family members come together to help that person. Like I said, if, if someone was lost in a cave, you wouldn't just have just you go in there to find them. You would call a rescue team out and you would have people on the grounds. You'd have people doing all of the search and rescue activity to find that person. And so we help people learn how to recruit a tribe. We have in there stuff about how to eat for mental health. We have the guiltless goodies cookbook, which is a bunch of, you know, refined sugar-free recipes that are intended to fill the sweet tooth, but not be the trigger for the dips. We found that sugar was a huge, huge trigger for my depression. And I had to cut it out completely, which was quite the process. (laughs) And, uh, but it helped me feel so much better. So there's a lot of stuff in the app and we continue to add things in the app. Our goal is to have people go from having their normal be that three to five to get them up to more of a seven to 10 range. The seven range is considered where you're stable and we can be able to work with that, you know? Okay. So in this app, this app is more for the partner of those dealing with depression, not necessarily the person with depression. Right. We found that those that are struggling with depression really can't help themselves, especially if they're in that five stage five and below, they're struggling with feelings of guilt or, you know, self low self-worth and all of that. They don't feel worthy of doing it. And they feel so overwhelmed and incapacitated from doing the things that are needed. Like the qualities that you need to get better are what are being attacked in depression. And so by enabling their tribe and their chief buffer officer, those people around them to know what to do and how to respond, then they can be the ones to help them. You know, if someone fell off a boat and they're drowning in the water, you can't just tell them, Hey, uh, you should really get out of that water and come back on the boat. You would need someone to throw the life preserver out and get them and bring them back onto the boat. So it's, it's intended to teach them how to find them and and bring them back in. Oh, I love that analogy. And I love this app. I'm going to have to go check out this app. So let's talk though, a little bit about depression and things that affect it. Let's just talk about that for a minute. So depression can actually look different for a lot of people and it can feel different for a lot of people. So is that accounted for in this app with how we teach the partners to deal with this? Yes, it is. We have interviewed hundreds of people and asked them and kind of like vetted the dip scale with them. And when you go into the dip scale online course, which is in the app, we go through and 
and write down the different elements included in each of these stages because some people just personality wise might not be as out there and might not have you know the snappy turtle explosion at a six they might just internally have that happen they might be more of an introvert by nature and and we'll just have different things happen in the way that they respond so we account for all of that in the app and go through and explain um specifically what it would look like physically for you to have a cue of what's going on and what it sounds like we have a list of like things people will say to let you know oh they're at least a seven or below you know things like everyone would be better off without me i don't even know why i should try anymore it's just not worth it anymore things like that where it's like oh red flag I need to have them on my radar and be willing to approach this with them and let them know that they are not alone in this and that I'm willing to walk this with them. Okay. So besides looking for verbal cues like that, if a partner is like wondering if their spouse or whoever is dealing with depression, what are maybe some of the other signs of depression that they would see? So some things that are clear markers, uh, number one, if they're swirling, they can't really get anything done because their mind is ruminating so much that they're like, oh, I need to do this and this and this. That's a cue. If they're easily overwhelmed with things that should be simple tasks, typically for them, if they are not wanting to go into social gatherings or social settings like church or visiting with neighbors or whatever it might be, they just want to kind of be by themselves or they want to secluse into the room. It feels very overstimulating, overwhelming to be around other people and you're really in your head a lot. And so you kind of, want to like escape your closet in essence. So it, that's a cue that something's going on. Also, we've noticed that there's just this look that they'll have, they'll have this stare and it, they kind of look down into the side. And to me, whenever I see that happen, I'm like, oh boy, okay. They have stuff that's going on in their mind that they need help getting out. And that's why in the app, we also train on effective communication strategies and knowing how to approach things with people so that they know that you're a safe place and you can build that connection and trust with them so that they're able to get to a safer place and not be alone in that struggle. That the number one deterrent to suicide is connection. And, you know, that's something you, you might not be able to control someone's hormones or their all these different things, but you can control how you're trying to connect with them. And that's a huge thing that we try to let people know about is just having intentional connection with someone and, and how to approach difficult topics and how to be able to really reach someone that feels unreachable because it is possible if you just have the tools to know how to do it the right way. I love everything that you said. So if you're listening and you're not depressed, but you may think someone is depressed there, like she said, there are verbal cues and there are physical cues. Like you said, that might give you a little hint that they are suffering. Um, for me, when you said things were overwhelming, that was my case at first. Everything was so overwhelming. Simple things like folding the laundry was so overwhelming. And another thing, the swirling for me was I couldn't make a decision for the life of me. I mean, I couldn't even decide whether to tie my shoes or not. I mean, it was just so ridiculous, but now that makes sense. Okay. You talked about effective communication, connection, Let's actually talk about communication for a minute because that's a huge thing for the partner that's supporting um, the person with the mental health issues. So what are some simple ways that someone can be an effective listener? Yeah, so what we train about in this is a concept called listen, validate, love. We call it LVL. My husband is a master at this. <laughs> he just is naturally gifted in this. It's honestly what made me fall in love with him when he did it <laughs> with me when we were dating. You know, we sat in the parking lot for four hours outside of my apartment 
And he just let me talk out everything that was in my mind. <laughs> and it was so healing and so helpful for different things that I'd experienced. And basically what you want to do is you always want to have the right approach with someone where it's approached in love. You know, Gottman has these four horsemen that he talks about where they are communication strategies that always end badly. And those are like crit criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And um, those are things that if you're doing that, going into a conversation, it's automatically going to have someone isolate and retreat and just in their mind say, that's not someone that I can feel safe with. And they need so much love. They need so much connection that you really have to put any criticism like, well, why don't you just do this or contempt? I, I can't believe you always do X, Y, or Z, you know, any defensiveness. I'm trying to help you. Why don't you just listen to me? Whatever, or stonewalling. I just, I can't even talk to you about this anymore. Walk away. All of those things will have the opposite effect. Anytime you say, well, why don't you just, it's going to automatically shut them down. So the approach that you need to do is this LVL and it starts off by listening. And there's a strategy to listening effectively to someone. What you do pretty much is you start off with your approach of, Hey, you know, I know things have been hard and I just want you to know that I love you so much and I am here for you. And, and I'm ready to talk and, you know, I'm willing to clear my calendar for you. I want you to know that I'm here for you no matter what. And would you like to talk about how you've been feeling lately or what's going on with your friends or how things are going with work, whatever it is, would you like to talk about it? And if someone's struggling with depression, they, they're in this self-preservation mode and they, when they feel like someone's actually wanting to throw a life preserver out to them, they're like, oh, maybe someone does actually see me struggling. Maybe someone actually does want to help me. And what you have to do is, is not mess it up. <laughs> And actually let them know that, yes, I am someone that's trying to rescue you right now. And so you start off by just saying, you know, I'm, I want to make sure that I can really listen to you. I'm going to pull out a pen and paper so that I don't interrupt while we're talking. And so that I can just take notes while you're sharing with me what's going on. And then basically you just listen to them and, you know, you nod your head so that they know that you're actually listening. You, you put your phone away, you know, and then what you're going to do is, is do the validate part where you know, when they pause, you say something like, wow, I can't even imagine that would be so challenging. Tell me more. And, um, you know, the magic phrase we say is what else <laughs> this, what else is like incredible, how powerful it is with people, because they might, we always liken it to like a big bucket with a spigot at the bottom. They might've gotten a little bit out. And if they only got, let's say 20% out of what they have in their mind, and then you go straight into advice mode, then they still have all of this information that they could have covered to really open up to you and help you understand the full breadth of what's going on in their mind. But if you go straight into conversation mode and out of listening mode, then that doesn't happen. And true connection happens when you let them get everything out. And so by just saying what else, it's giving them an invitation to continue to, you know, release the pressure and, and help more information come out. And what's really cool as you, as you keep doing this, listening and this validating, wow, I, you know, I'm assuming that when this happened, it made you feel this way. And that's why you feel like you can't do X, Y, or Z. And they'll be like, yes, exactly. That's exactly what I mean. And, and then they feel loved and they feel safe and they feel heard and they'll keep talking. And, you know, they'll come a point in the conversation where they got everything out that was on their mind and they'll say, okay, that's it. And you'll say, oh, are you sure? Is there anything else? And just pause and wait for a minute. And then more often than not, there might be a few more drops or a few, a few more things that came to mind. And anyways, by doing this, 
Um, it allows them to usually solve the problem themselves because as they've gotten all of that pressure out and you know emptied the bucket per se, they're able to have what was really big in their mind become neutralized. And it makes it so it's not as much of a trigger and they feel like they have someone who really knows them, under, understands them and sees them. And that builds the framework for you to be able to love them more because you really see them more and see who their true character is. And then it's easier to want to do those, you know, five love languages of words of affirmation, of physical touch, of gifts, whatever it is that their love language is, you're able to do that more because you really actually love them more by <laughs> giving them the time to listen to them. Wow, that's an amazing tool to for anyone to have, just even talking with your kids or teenagers or um, in your marriage. I mean, this is a great way to communicate. So oh, I, I can't even tell you, like we, I, we do it with our three-year-old, with, you know, business partners, with people in our neighborhood. It, it has worked with any category of people and people really, really want to be validated and heard and, and loved. And it provides the means to do that. So. Okay. So it's listen, validate, love. Mm -hmm. And where does, is there a place for advice? Yes, there is. But the way that it works is when you like, they've emptied the bucket, they've gotten everything out. You say, you know, is there anything else that you want to share? And they'll eventually get to a point where they'll say, no, really that's everything. And then you'll say, okay, well, you know, thank you so much for sharing that. Most of the time you say, well, don't you have any advice? And that's where you say, oh, well, actually, this was a listening conversation. I, I told you that I sincerely wanted to just listen to you. I did take notes, but I, I wasn't going to go into advice mode with you. I sincerely wanted to listen to you. Um, if you want me to share, I'm happy to share, but I want you to feel like you can have someone that will just listen to you when you need to feel heard. And like nine out of 10 times, they feel more humble at that point and they feel more trust in you and they feel more connection to where they will say, no, actually, I really do want to hear what you have to say. And at that point, you've taken these notes throughout the conversation and you're able to really share with them insights that you've had that make them actually listen to you. <laughs> you know, how many times have parents been like, why don't you just break up with that person? They're not good for you, blah, 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 you know, whatever, whatever topic it is. Um, if you go straight into that advice mode, it will have the opposite effect. It will have them put a wall up and push you away. But if you do this approach, it makes it so that they embrace and really soak in whatever you have to say. I've seen my husband do this with, you know, even a young adult last week came to our house because he was struggling with depression and he came over to talk with us and he was just sharing with us what was going on. And, and we did the LVL thing. And like, he stopped by like three times this week just to hear whatever advice we had to share with him. And he like, <laughs> this is a young adult we're talking to, you know, his eyes are wide and he's just soaking it all in and he comes back and reports how he applied whatever thoughts we had to share with him. I love this because I'm thinking right now, like, how do I communicate with others? And I'm a fixer. Like when someone tells me a problem, I want to give them 10 solutions of how they can fix things. And I do that with my teens all the time. And sometimes they'll say to me, like, I'm not here for you to fix it, you know? And so I love this approach. Okay, so I actually have a question about this because we've talked all about this LVL method, but what if the person, your partner, doesn't even realize that they need to be an effective listener, that there is something wrong? Is there a way to approach that? 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there are these sensitive topics that you might feel really nervous approaching someone with, but there's also that inner call of like, if I don't say something, something bad could happen. And, you know, you, you have to have the courage to speak what you see going on and be willing to call it for what it is, like put that light in that dark room and identify that something's off. And, you know, there, there is a method to approach gentle and sensitive topics. And, um, you know, always starts with the love sandwich where you, you start off with love and, you know, um, one way you could do that would be, you know, for example, if you're trying to talk to someone and let them know that you think that their child is struggling, you could come up to them and say, Hey, you know, you've been on my mind a lot lately. That always helps people kind of be like, Oh, really interesting. Okay. So you've been on my mind lately. And because you mean so much to me, that's the other one you're expressing love like because you mean so much to me and because your child means so much to me, um, I wanted to talk to you about something. So that's the first part is expressing love. The second part is expressing your own vulnerability in it. And um, so something like, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say this. I'm a little nervous to talk to you about this, but I just really feel like, like I need to share something with you. It kind of just let them know I'm not coming in guns a blazing. You know, I'm, I'm a little nervous, but I really want to talk to you about this because I love you guys so much. And then the third part is to express your intent. And um, in that pretty much you say something like, I, I don't want to step on any toes or tell you what to do. I, I'm not trying to offend or upset you. Like my, my intention is simply to help you guys because I love you. And then the fourth part that's really important is to acknowledge your limited perspective that, you know, something like I could be wrong. I might not have the full picture of what's going on. And, and I recognize that this could be my own limited perspective because that automatically pulls down any walls that they might have of like, well, you don't know, see the whole picture. You don't know what's going on. It helps with that. And then number five, um, you express the observation that you've seen. So something like I I've noticed that your son has been saying a few comments that, that worry me or whatever it is. Like you say, whatever the meat is in between that sandwich, you started with the love and, you know, the recognizing, you know, I might be off or whatever, but here's the meat of it. When you're saying that, whatever the meat is of the conversation, make sure that you're not saying you statements. You want to say I statements, like I feel worried for this person because this not you are being a horrible parent right now because you're clueless to the fact that your kid could be, you know, dealing with depression or whatever it is. And then the last part is to simply let them know, like when you're wrapping things up and you, you know, again, I wanted to share this with you because I love you so much. And I want you to know that I want to be part of the solution. That's that sixth element is letting them know that you're going to be part of the solution. Like I am willing to drop whatever it is and help them. I can come and take them out for a date. I can spend time with them. I can help find a doctor. I can do this, whatever it is that you need help with. I'm willing to be part of your tribe of helping you help this person because I love you. And, and I'm willing to be part of the solution in helping us get your person back to feeling normal again. So wow. I feel like that process is super important when you see, you know, if you think of being on a boat and you see someone teetering on the edge of that boat and you know, if you think of a toddler on a ship, if they're like right at the edge and they're about to fall off, you wouldn't be like, oh, I don't want to offend anyone by saying their kid's about to fall off. That, uh, that's not really my place to say anything. <laughs> no, you would be like, um, hey, I know you're, you've got this going on. Can I redirect your focus right now and let you see that this is what's going on? I'm happy to grab them unless you're grabbing them. Whatever it is, I'm here <laughs> and let's do something, you know? 
That is great advice. I am going to write down those six things to always remember that. So I love the LVL that you taught. And then this is another great method of communication. Thank you so much. Okay, so I love this um, effective way of communicating. But do we always use this method every time we're talking with our spouse? Or this is just when we're like solving or listening to big issues? Um, Like if they come to you and they're just at like an eight or a seven on the dip scale, do we have to go through this whole long process? So typically whenever people have a trigger, they need to talk it out. You know, trauma and triggers happen at the, well, trauma happens at the eight where there's a situation that is really difficult for them and they're going to need to talk it out. So LVL definitely applies at the eight, seven at a six. They're not going to want to talk because they're just angry and want to go recluse. (laughs) But when they get to that at that five stage, that's where you at the five, four, three, two, um, in the disco, we talk about how you need to just be with them and give them the love. That's where like physical touch acts of service. That's where that sets in a lot because they might not be ready to talk at all right then, but by you being there and keeping them safe, it makes it so that they can get back up on the dip scale where they're able to talk and able to communicate what's going on in their mind. There's definitely stuff in there, but it might not be the right time for them. That's why that love section is so important of LBL and having done that when they were at an eight and a seven provides the means for you to feel like their safe place where they feel like they'll let you come into the room. They'll let you come and just sit with them and be with them. I can't tell you how many times, like, um, you know, my, my family, I have like an, a really incredible aunt who's been there for me my whole life. And she lived just down the street for, uh, from us when I was struggling with postpartum and she would just come in my room and just sit on the bed next to me and just like hold me and stroke my hair. And that was when I was at a three and that's what I needed at that time. And by her being there and, and letting you know, you're not alone in this. I am coming to you. I'm staying with you. I'm okay to go into that cave and just sit there until you're, until you feel strong enough to step and we can walk it together and walk out it makes it so that they can get to a a seven on the dip scale. You know, like, like I said, that seven is that recovery stage. So if you come into someone's house and they're in that reclusive stage and they're stuck in their bed, have someone come and just be in the room with them because their ruminating thoughts can have them get to that scarier stage of the three. You know, obviously if someone is, if you can tell that someone's at a three, two, one, you, you need to call the suicide hotline. You need to They actually have teams set up now where um, you can go to a home to be safe. It's called MCOT. Um, It's these places that they're setting up to feel like a home environment, but that's just safe for them to be in until they're feeling more stable. I didn't know about that. So I was just at home, but we would have my tribe members with me. And, you know, because we have the dip scale, still was able to say to my aunt, to my good friends in the neighborhood, hey, Sears at a three right now can you help? And they would come over. One of them would take the kids. Another one would just sit and be with me. Another one would help clean the house. And I know that sounds like silly, like, well, you know, can't you just take care of things by your, on your own? But no, I can't. Again, if someone is drowning in the water, they can't just learn how to swim right then. They can't just figure out how to get everything together in an instant. And that's where compassion is so needed in this, you know, and, and really being willing to just observe and serve. You really need to act and and show up into someone's life to see what's going on and see where they need help. And, you know, we love the concept of just 
getting in the home, getting in the room, whatever it is, so that they don't feel alone and so that they can have that safety net around them from to avoid anything bad from happening. Okay, I love that you had such a huge tribe to help you. I have two thoughts about this. One, sometimes those that are dealing with mental health are not ready to talk. There were times I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to empty out that bucket per se. So in those times, it's just better, like you're saying, to just love and validate. And it's okay not to try to push that person to talk. You don't have to be listening right then and there. They will get to that point, correct? Yes, and, and that's where the dip skill is so helpful because sometimes talking through something will make it worse for them because as they start talking through the reasons why they're feeling this way, it can actually take them from a seven and be that trigger by talking about it that takes them down that dip scale of self-deprecating thoughts and everything. So if they can just say, I'm a seven right now, then the tribe who's been trained now knows, oh, okay, that means I need to do this, this, and this, or I'm a three right now, whatever it is. Like literally one word, they can just say four. You'll be able to know if someone's at a four <laughs> because they'll be, it'll be external, but with just one word, they don't have to go into everything but you can know exactly how safe or unsafe they are. Okay. And what I want to say to my listeners also is I did this with only my husband. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I didn't have a tribe because it was 16 years ago. And when I would reach out for help, people were very critical and judged a lot. And so it was something that just my husband and I dealt with. So if you're listening to this and you feel like I don't have a tribe, I don't have the amazing aunts, you know, or grandparents or mother-in-law, whatever. Find that one person then. Sometimes the one person can be your tribe. And so that's my little words of encouragement. But let's move on now to a different <laughs> topic so I don't keep crying this whole show. Okay, so I love everything you said about communication. I love the dip scale. Let's maybe talk about some of these reasons that cause depression because, or can be a root cause to depression because you had mentioned your food and the sugar. So did you eventually figure out some of your root causes of depression and was food a huge um, contributing factor? Yes, I feel like it's been this huge journey of like, we always liken it to like a circus tent and some tents just need a couple stakes to hold the tent up, but others need a bunch of different stakes to hold the tent up. And that's what it was for me. We found that I have, you know, a collagen mutation <laughs> and that's not what most people have. It's super rare, but in essence that made it so that, you know, my gut lining was off and because collagen makes up a huge part of your gut. And so then I wasn't able to digest properly and all this other stuff. So, but I mean, it started off by me eliminating inflammatory food from my diet you know, I, I went on the GAPS diet for a while, the gut and psychology syndrome diet. I worked with a nutritional therapist with that to help me. And that helped me see that like, for me, when I ate starchy foods, it gave me a lot of brain fog. When I ate gluten, it made me really irritable. When I ate sugar, I would be just straight up depressed, you know, and we just saw these different things that it would create in my mind whenever I had those foods. And so then we we started just really focusing on building up my gut health. And then after that, we started, um, we found out about bioidentical hormone therapy. I started doing that and, and that is what helped me the most. You know, we did blood work and they saw that my progesterone was at zero. <laughs> like I had no progesterone in my body and my estrogen was really high. Um, cortisol was all over the place. And as you know, no one's going to feel good if, if your hormones are off like that. And so 
we started doing the bioidentical hormone therapy because it was a form that my body could recognize and be able to absorb easier. And we saw such a huge difference. And, you know, the difference in time frame when we found the hormone therapy went from, you know, with my second, I struggled re with really bad depression for, it was June, 2017, and she was born October, 2014. So at least three and a half years until we found that of me being like that. Whereas when our youngest was born, they put me back on progesterone at five weeks when I started having the depression again. And, you know, I started feeling myself within a few days, you know, two weeks later, I was able to shoot a full on wedding <laughs> and that wouldn't have been possible where I had been previously. So it was the difference of knowing what the source was of like, Oh, I'm not making progesterone because of these other things going on. And let's, let's get you the resource that you need made the difference of three and a half years versus like five weeks of learning it and implementing it and seeing a difference. So you found a doctor then that would do all these different tests to help you figure out what your individual root causes were. Yes. And there've been multiple doctors. Cause like for me, there's different causes for it. It all kind of comes down to that collagen issue that I have, but I always talk about it as like a tree, you know, if a tree has roots and then a trunk and branches and twigs, little twigs might've been the depression, like the symptoms that I was having. And I, if I, if you're just focusing on that, it's not going to heal the whole tree. You had to know that like, you know, the big branch was not making progesterone and like a hormone imbalance. And then the trunk was because of this gut issue going on that needed to be addressed so that my body could make those hormones on its own and, and then getting down to other root causes and how to address that. And so if you're trying a resource and you're not seeing a result in it, it might be because it might not be the root of what's going on. It might be a branch or a twig and you need to just keep searching and be willing to go through the process of trial and error and figuring out what stakes you need. And that's where having that person that's fighting for you, that chief is so helpful. And, and that's why in the app, we train people on how to be a chief and how to have that chief recruit a tribe. So people don't feel alone so that they can get people that they think, you know, if you think you don't have anyone, we train you on how to find those people and how to get that group around you so that it's this team effort again, to go and, and find the person that's lost. Okay. And for those that are listening, I just want to say it might not be the first doctor that you go to that's going to help you. Like you said, you went to lots of different doctors that didn't help you or treatments that didn't help. And so if you are suffering with mental health, depression, anxiety, any of those, go to doctor after doctor until you find the one that will best help you, that is trained in this and is trained to know how to figure out the root causes of depression. Because Depression is just a symptom. It's your body screaming for help. Like, hey, there are things going on and we just can't feel our best self anymore. So help us. That's what it's saying. So thank you for explaining all of that. But I do want to touch upon some of the therapies out there because you did talk about bioidentical hormone therapy. And I do love that one if it's a bioidentical hormone. And for those listening, if you have just given birth, your progesterone drops really, really low. And we found that out later on with my uh, fifth and sixth birth, that mine dropped really low too and had a really hard time coming back up on its own. And so some women just need that additional support to help that progesterone get back up to feel well. But let's talk about some other therapies. Um, did you ever try EMDR therapy or no? I am like the biggest advocate for EMDR therapy. I love EMDR therapy. I feel like 
for years I was doing talk therapy and it felt just kind of like open heart surgery for me because there was other things that had gone on. Um, talk therapy is when you really need someone to listen to you. And you know, when that 45 minutes was up, then they're like, okay, it's time to go. And I felt like I had to restitch everything back together and try to process it on my own. And so that for me was not helpful, but finding EMDR was huge because it allowed us to process things that had happened and be able to not necessarily have to talk through it all. And so I saw a huge improvement in my depression when I made it so that things that used to be triggers were neutralized. And, you know, an example, my, one of my best friends died my senior year of high school. Whenever I'd go home and drive past her gravesite, I would just start crying, you know, the whole drive up to Dallas, I'd be thinking about it and replaying everything that happened. And after doing EMDR therapy, I went home for Thanksgiving and um, drove down the road. And about two minutes after passing her, the cemetery, I realized, whoa, I just drove past that. And I didn't even realize it until afterwards. Like what used to be such a huge trigger for me has been neutralized. It doesn't mean that I don't remember it, but I don't have the painful emotions attached to it. So it's been instrumental for my healing. So for those that um, do not deal with mental health issues or depression or have never looked into this. Will you just sort of explain what EMDR therapy is? Maybe just the basics of it? Yes. EMDR therapy is a form of processing trauma and it, you don't have to have be a soldier in war per se to have PTSD or to have things that are really hard for you. Um, you know, my therapist gave the example of if someone was giving a speech in eighth grade and all of a sudden all the kids in the class started laughing at, at them and they looked down and they saw a red pen. Now, 30 years later, every time they see the color red, they start getting anxiety and they don't realize why. Um, in essence, EMDR is to, it's like you have different emotions stored in your brain and you'll have just all these files that back up that emotion. Um, that might be things like, I'm not safe. I'm, I'm not enough. I can't have success. I can't be happy. I can't, whatever it is. And then you have all these things to back up that emotion, all these memories stored in your mind. And so with EMDR, in essence, you get one of those folders out and, and just your, they do, um, there's different ways to do it with my therapist. She does, um, she has my eyes move back and forth and it stimulate it, it's like bilateral stimulation between your right and left lobes. And it allows those memories to be processed in your brain. And there's like three parts of your brain that are needed to process something. Um, you have, you know, the amygdala that, that, is your alert center that lets people know, Hey, something's happened. And then it goes to the emotion in your prefrontal cortex where it's like, this is how we feel about it. And then the other part tells you, like helps you kind of work it out in your mind. And a lot of times trauma happens when you just go from the alert to the emotion section and you need that third part of processing it to have it not become an issue in your life. And so that's the purpose of EMDR is, is adding in that third part of, of just processing it. So then again, it's not a heightened emotion whenever someone does something that just adds to that file. Thank you for explaining that. So let's talk about a couple other therapies. What about neurofeedback? Maybe tell my listeners what that is and did you use that? Yeah, so neurofeedback is a way to help parts of your mind that might be activated to being neutralized. They have different like beta waves and different things and they pretty much put this cap on your head that alerts your brain to know when, how to respond to different things. And so if people are struggling with anxiety, it helps a lot. I went through and they, you know, they did my scan and it was all over the place and 
anyways, I, a lot of people that have done it, it helps them tremendously with just kind of letting the brain know not to respond a certain way and to just like kind of roll with the flow. And, you know, like if a wave was flowing and um, it helps you to not get crashed when the wave comes, it helps you to just kind of roll with it. So that's a really effective form of therapy as well. Okay. And I love that previously you said that talk therapy didn't help you. And so as we're talking about all these different therapies, people need to just realize some may be great for you personally and others may not. And some may have worked for your neighbor or your friend and it won't work for you because we're all just so unique in our situations. And so um, one that I'm huge about that I love is nutritional therapy. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about this? Yeah. I mean, I worked with a nutritional therapist and she basically would assess what my nutrient levels were and how my gut health was. And I would have to keep a food tracker and tell her everything I was eating during the day, which sometimes I didn't want to, but you know, helps me to be accountable. And we basically just rebuilt my whole gut health, um, by having different supplementation and different foods eliminated and adding in different foods that built up my gut health. And that's what allowed me to be able to come off of the medication that I was on because it was, you know, serotonin, a huge chunk of serotonin is made in your gut. And so I was replacing the SSRIs with a healthier gut. And that made it so that I was able to get pregnant again. Okay. So that is part of my um, healing as well Is I had to do a lot of nutritional work because I was low in vitamin D. I was low in magnesium. I couldn't absorb my B vitamins and B vitamins are huge in brain health. Also I had issues with my hormones, which hormones can be off due to nutritional deficiencies. And so, yes, that is a huge one for lots of people. And then the last therapy um, I just want to ask you about is meditation. That played a role for you, correct? Yeah, that has been really helpful for me. I mean, it's mostly what I have found. I've done a lot of like, what I've found really helpful is like yoga meditation where I'm, I'm using my body to work through these thoughts. And I'm like, just saying positive affirmations to myself of, you know, I'm enough, I'm strong as I am. <laughs> whatever it is that I need to hear. I'm um, just having that time to be still and meditation oftentimes for me looks like just praying. Like that's a really huge part of my life is prayer and having faith in God. I, I wouldn't be able to do any of it without that because that's where my strength comes from to be able to keep pressing forward. And so I think that, you know, whether if you are someone that exercises faith in God, like taking that time to be still and connect with him is huge. And if you're not someone that is into that, like just taking that time to meditate and just breathe and calm your mind and be still and, and say those positive affirmations to yourself is really helpful. Yeah. That meditating can really calm your nervous system, which then can really help your adrenals and that, um, fight or flight, you know, that we're in so much of the day, things like that. So Thank you so much for sharing about your journey and these different therapies, things like that. Are there any other tips that you would want to tell the listeners? Yeah, I think mostly it's just that there are so many new treatments, new therapies out there. There are so many different ways that you can have hope that, you know, if something didn't work out there, like every week, I feel like I'm learning about a new form of therapy or a new treatment out there that can help people and just being willing to try things and trust that you can get better and believe that this isn't your normal, that you can have a new normal, that there is light through the dark of mental health and that you can be able to get your loved one back and all of that. It, it's so empowering to feel like 
this is not the end of my story. There is more to my life. There's joy to be had no matter what's happened in the past or what's going on in my present. My future can be bright. My future can have all of the joy and love and connection that my soul desires. I love that. I remember specifically the day everything sitting on a chair in my bedroom and literally thinking there is no light at the end of this tunnel. It is pure darkness and I will never see the light. Like there's no way I am in such a dark place that there's no way a light can ever be found. So like you, I just want to give you listeners, if you're listening to this and dealing with mental health, just give you that hope that there is healing available. And like you said, today, there are so many treatments out there to help. Um, Back 15, 16 years ago, a lot of doctors didn't know what would help. And if you have a doctor that doesn't know what can help, run, go to a new doctor. That is not right. Anyways, thank you again for being here. I know my listeners have learned so much. Um, I loved all that info about communicating. I'm going to take that home and be a more effective listener. Um, But tell my listeners where they can find you and the app. Yeah, so you can find our app um, on the app store. It's Lightkeepers, or you can go to our website, www.lightkeepers.co. We're also on Instagram, um, lightkeepers.co. And, you know, we have a webinar coming out and we're just always trying to add as much as we can. We really feel motivated to help people. We have this movement where we're just trying to help those that are in the dark to find the light and feel hope again. And so we're going to be continuing to share as much as we can with you. And, and thank you for the opportunity to share this here today. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. It was literally meant to be that we met each other because I just love what you're doing and I hope we can work together on future things to help bring awareness to mental health and bring that awareness that there is hope and healing available to them. So thank you so much. I always close my episodes by asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient to life and what would you say it is? I would definitely say that it's hope hope that things can get better and that there is so much to be enjoyed in life and so much more that you can have. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much. Again, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. See ya. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.